0: There's gonna be doctors that say funny things. There's gonna be friends that say weird things. There's gonna be nurses and coworkers and friends and family who just say some odd things during this journey. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's what you think about you and your process and your journey along this fertility struggle, if it is a struggle for you. That's really all that's important because people don't know what to say. People have no idea what to say, and they wanna say something that helps them feel better and that helps them fill the silence of the awkwardness when somebody else is struggling, but that doesn't help you. What helps you is really, like what has helped me is what I say to myself inside my head.
1: Hello and hola, friends. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from Physician Financial Services, a business widely recognized in the physician community for disability insurance. Lawrence B. Keller, CFP has been in the insurance and financial services industry since 1990. And unlike medicine, which has a standardized path that physicians must take to gain the education, training and experience requirements necessary to obtain board certification, the insurance and financial services industry does not. While he might not be a doctor's first phone call regarding their insurance needs, he is often their last. Find Larry at DrPodcastNetwork.com forward slash Larry Keller or at the link in the description of this show. Before I start my interview with Dr. Manisha Aluwalia, I would just like to remind you guys that my copy of the Medical Marriage Survival Guide and an Instruction Manual for Physicians in Love is now available. It's an ebook, an 18-page ebook slash workbook available for free for you for download if you go to my website or the link provided in the show notes. I would love for you guys to take it, use it give me feedback I spent the entire week and then week thereafter during the snowmageddon we had in Dallas creating this and it's full of tips and advice I have received from so many guests on this show as well of just so many people I have talked to over the past year about relationships that have really enhanced all of my relationships and I think could really enhance yours so please go get the medical merit survival guide and an instruction manual for physicians in love at the link provided in my show notes Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage & Money, Dr. Manisha Aluwalia. I have known this beautiful board-certified infectious disease physician and certified life coach since the summer of 2020, where we met during a nine-week intensive Empowering Women Physicians Life Coaching Program. Manisha has a powerful story and is here today to share her fertility journey with us and how this not only affected who she is, but also affected her relationship with her hubby. Yay! Thank you so much for joining us today, Manisha. (laughs) Thank you, Kate. I love that applause. So before we get started with who you are and your love story, tell us what is your definition of marital interdependence? Or in other words, what makes a successful marriage? I've been doing this little, playing this little game with my husband lately.
0: I don't know if it's probably longer than lately, maybe last few years. It's like whenever we're in the car on a road trip and a long road trip, I'll start asking him questions as if I don't know him at all. And as if we're, you know, as if we're starting from the very beginning. And it's always interesting because I get to know new things about him or he'll tell me a story he's already told me a million times, but I don't remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow.
1: What is that? What does that look like? Like, what's your what's your question you started? I'll be like, oh, what was your undergrad degree? And
0: then we'll start talking about his college years. And we'll start about, talking about what kind of music he listened to in college or high school. Um, it came up again when we celebrated his 40th birthday. And there happened to be like a cover band for Depeche Mode in town. And this is way after both of us were in high school listening to Depeche Mode. So we got to go to like a Depeche Mode concert together. But in our 40s, Whereas we had never hung out at high school, you know, at high school age. So it's just, it brings up interesting details. And then you can build on those, you know, in, in your marriage. Like I got to take him to a, a Depeche Mode concert because I knew he loved Depeche Mode from these conversations.
1: Okay. So in other words, you're like, you're like, you're, you're telling me just stay curious, keep things fresh by asking questions like, Hey, what's up? I just met you because that's what actually when we're kind of most friendly is when we first meet somebody sometimes.
0: Yeah. And you're so curious and you want to know all the things in the beginning.
1: Yes. Oh, I'm going to try that. Victor's going to be like, what? Where did
0: you come from? (laughs) Or like, what was the name of that girl that you dated?
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. We may not talk about that. And then tell me, okay, tell me, tell us a little about you, like where you came from, what you're doing now, where you are in life. Sure. I'm, Indian American, my parents came from India. They came to the to
0: Houston initially in the 70s. I was born in Houston, raised in Houston, raised alongside a huge Indian family, lots of cousins, um, and I have a younger brother. And I left Texas like when I was 18 to go to medical school, I mean sorry, to go to college medical school, and then kind of settled in the East Coast after that, married into the East Coast and now I live in Baltimore, Maryland where I am an infectious disease doctor and a certified life coach. Ah, now do you miss Texas? Do I miss Texas? Um, Well, I know you're in Texas, so. (laughs) I'm in Dallas, Texas, which is much different than Houston, Texas. And where there's such a rivalry. I I miss Texas because of the weather, but other than that, I'm happy here. Okay, okay, even in the cold, is it cold right now? It's cold, but it's not, it's tolerable. I I think I've grown accustomed to it.
1: (laughs) Okay, maybe maybe I will someday, but I'll tell you what, my body just shuts down when it gets like below 40 degrees. (laughs) Okay, and then so tell us about your hobby. Like, how did you guys first meet? Was it love at first sight?
0: I know the exact day. It was September 1st, 2011. I had just gotten back from my first mission uh, with Doctors Without Borders. So I had been out of the country for nine months. I was in Kenya. I came back and I wanted to hang out with all my friends and my family. So I went to D.C. to see my cousin. And she uh, decided that she wanted to introduce me to this person, but she didn't tell me ahead of time. So it was like four minutes before he was walking in the door. And she's like, oh, by the way, I invited a boy. (laughs) She said it just like that. Because when we were nine and, and 16, we were talking like, you know, oh, there's a boy. There's a boy. So she was still talking to me in those terms. So he walks in the door and I look at him. And number one, he's Indian. And number two, he's got a motorcycle helmet under his arm. And so I'm already like piqued interest, right? Because he's Indian he's got a motorcycle helmet. I'm like, that's not a common occurrence. So we we sit in her living area and we start talking and turns out he's a humanitarian. He's been in the Peace Corps. Um, He plays tennis and so do I. He's done Toastmasters and so had I he loves coffee. We ended up having the same shoe size and it was all this stuff that was so perfectly matched up. We went to dinner and of course it was two other couples that were already linked up. And it was just the two of us that were single. And we ended up sharing a burger. um, I know on our first dinner and our first date. And it was like, it was like the two of us were on a date and everybody else was just kind of, I don't know what they were doing because we were so engrossed with one another. And this was Labor Day weekend. Um, and he had to go back to his um, hometown, like in New York, over Labor Day weekend. And Monday, Labor Day, he came back and asked us all to dinner to his place. And, I, and everybody else, quote unquote, called out sick. <laughs> And I was like, "Oh no, I'm going." So basically, you know, that that was our first official date together and we had Thai food and he told me about this cycling trip that he had done across the country to raise money for American Lung Association and of course again, I was taken, you know, aback by this incredible story and this incredible man. And that was, uh, you know, rest is history.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. So many common commonalities there. You know, Victor and I have the same shoe size, too. <laughs> they do not want us telling people that. I know. No, no actually, yeah, maybe I should just that. <laughs> but it's so funny. I mean, we're both tinier people. I just have, I do have a longer foot because this is ridiculous. I have um, hyperflexible joints, so my feet you know they're they they flatten out and so i just have a long foot <laughs> i've had a long foot as as well so i'm size 11 i know it's crazy well okay, okay let's get back to the love story here tell, tell us another love story i know you have some more love stories you want to share with us uh,
0: th- yeah the beginning was incredible we we met, we met and we were Glued to the phone for the first 17 days of knowing each other. But of course, I was traveling. Remember, I was fe- seeing friends and family up and down the East Coast. But as I was traveling, I was still keeping in touch with him from the day that we met. So he invited me to go to New York City with him, um, maybe like 15 or 16 days after I met him uh, for an engagement party. His friends were getting engaged. So we took this road trip together, and he at the party had a drink or two, and he saw me dancing, and he said, I love you. And this was day 17 of knowing each other. Um, after the second whiskey, of course. (laughs) A week later, no joke, I was in Houston back at home and I was preparing for my uh, farewell party because I was going on my second mission with Doctors Without Borders to Cambodia. And of course I was heartbroken because I had met this amazing guy. I was about to leave for six months. He's like, Hey, guess what? I bought a ticket to come see you in Houston. I was like, what? So he came to my farewell party and then I go to Cambodia And then two months later, we're still Skyping three times a day, getting to know each other. We're still, do, you know, dating on Skype. And he's like, guess what? I bought a ticket to come to Cambodia. And I was like, what? Right, exactly. So t- so two months later, he's in Cambodia with me. It's February. It's, it's my birthday month. It's, it's Valentine's week. And not only are we kind of having a vacation together, but he said, if you want to keep volunteering for Doctors Without Borders, not only would, do I want you to continue, but I'll do it with you
1: heart melting
0: oh my gosh you should see my face right now it's like mouth open again jaw jaw dropped right and then it's true he applied he got accepted and we got married and we set off about two years after we met to uganda and this is my third mission with doctors Without borders we're in a group house we're in a um a home where we live with our coworkers. We live and work with the people that we live and work with all day long, 24 seven, he and I are in one bedroom. And of course we're in a shared home. And a few months later, unfortunately, the boss of the project passes away and I become the boss. So now we're in our first year of marriage, living in the same group house in this small town in Uganda. He's working crazy hours. And now I'm his boss. And I'm like, you got to show up to this meeting. You got to come to this hospital site. (laughs) It's just anyway, it was just it was so intense in the beginning. And he just kept saying all the right things and kept saying and doing all the right things. Right. I mean, it was like 17 days. I love you. A month later, I'm coming to see you in Houston. Two months later, I'm coming to see you in Cambodia. Then we're married. Then we're doctors that are bordering together in Uganda. It was amazing. I mean, it's been an incredible journey. So yeah, that's the story.
1: He knew. I mean, he knew. He knew.
0: He knew. And he's a, you know, he's a humanitarian at heart as well. So it just kind of fit the bill.
1: Yes, you're both humanitarians. And so you guys did, finished off this mission in Uganda. How, is that a six month?
0: We were there for 11 months.
1: Is this something you did at the beginning of your medical career?
0: I did it after my first attending job. My first attending job, the boss said, you need to be, you weren't productive enough for us that we're going to let you go. So I got fired from my first job for not being productive. And then I was like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to go and live my dream to work for Doctors Without Borders. And that was um, just so after my first attending job.
1: Yeah. okay. Okay, that's beautiful. And then, like, what kind of thing? When, where did you guys live after that? that? That's when you went back to the East Coast. Yeah, we've been in the East Coast ever since. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you guys are both Indian. What? Tell me a little bit about growing up in this culture, or being a being in medicine, or life in general. What kind of struggles have you had, or maybe not struggles at all? But what you know, what have you had to overcome? You know, and how has being in an Indian woman uh, affected affected life for you?
0: Yeah. I I think growing up, I, I had a very healthy upbringing and I was never pressured to do one thing or the other in life. I chose medicine. There was no other doctors in my <clears throat> family. Um, interestingly enough, my dad said, oh, you don't work hard enough to be a doctor. Maybe you should choose something else. <laughs> so of course I set out to prove him wrong. Um, but, that, but the difficulties only started, I think, um, when my husband and I had a big difference of opinion. So when we decided to meet and get married, we had this humanitarian heart together and we had a mission to sort of help and volunteer. And we thought that maybe having children was going to be a hindrance to our work in the world. And so we decided we would just volunteer and not have children. But a year into our mission at Uganda, we came back and all these people had had children, his friends had had children, and he decided he wanted children. So in 2014, a year after we got married, this is what he presented to me. And I was not ready because we had decided together we weren't gonna have children. So I think the cultural part of it was that there's an expectation on me, not only to have children, but from my parents, the expectation was you probably wanna do what your husband wants you to do. You know, you've got a good guy, why would you wanna create this tension, just kind of rise to the occasion and think about your future and family is expected, right? Children are expected, just like it would be in any other culture. But I think it was just part of me to think that, okay, my parents know best, maybe my husband knows best, maybe my in-laws know best. And I felt a lot of pressure to do that, even though it didn't feel like something I personally wanted to do. So there was that struggle that, that entered into our marriage because of that inner push I had on myself to say, sort of do what the family expected. And then that kind of went on for like three years. For, from 2014 to 2017, I really was not on board with trying to have kids. And it came time to really make a decision. And I had to hear an ultimatum from him and his family. And they had given me two weeks and thirty days between the two, like between my husband and my and my family, my in-laws. And they said, if you can't make a decision that you're going to have kids, it's over." and it was it was devastating, absolutely devastating. He left the house. We were separate for month a month. He took another apartment and all this. And I was beside myself, you know, definitely devastated. I, w- I missed him so much. And I knew that something had gone wrong because this didn't feel right either. Um, so I made a decision. And I, dis- I-, I made the choice to decide to have children at that point. And this was now I'm 41, I think, at this point, or maybe 38, 41, something like that. He came back home. But, you know, my heart wasn't in it. And I had said yes to trying to have kids, but it really wasn't in my heart to do it. And we had lots of trouble. Um, and that's kind of where our marriage issues began, you know, he carried a lot of resentment for me delaying that decision and getting older and probably losing some time in terms of like my best for, you know, fertility years, and I have carried resentment, because I was given an ultimatum, you know, and that's been a really hard challenge. We've gotten over it since then, but it still comes back, you know, and it's still part of our marriage, it's still something that we had to overcome. And it was a dark time in our, in our relationship. Definitely.
1: So how, yeah, what is the fertility journey looked like since then?
0: Yeah. So I, like I said, when I was 38, when he said he wanted kids, so I was already older. I agreed to try. And when I agreed to try, I was about 41. So we had tried naturally at that point and we had gotten pregnant. We had a miscarriage. We had another, we had to have a DNC. um, And we found out that the miscarriage was due to trisomy. So we had an, we had knowledge of why this miscarriage was happening. We tried IUI we got pregnant we miscarried again i think we had some other iui attempts where we didn't get pregnant we tried naturally again we did get pregnant we miscarried we had another dnc found out found out it was to due to trisomy uh, we tried ivf um, and along the way of ivf there were delays so it took us a full 11 months to get through the full one cycle and after you know at the end of an ivf cycle you have like a 30 second phone call with a nurse who tells you your result is negative you know your pregnancy test result is negative so that was it was tough and it was going on from 2017 to 2020 we're doing this cycle of <clears throat> attempts miscarriages bad news and all the while there's acupuncture weekly there's supplements, there's Chinese herbs, there's doing everything I can to get my health, you know, back in, in gear, like overcoming being overweight and overcoming the hypothyroidism, the pre-diabetes, the low iron, the high blood pressure. I mean, everything was stacked against us and we were doing everything possible to really get past it. And then it ended up this past October, we did another, IUI attempt and we did get pregnant and we ended up seeing the embryo on the ultrasound in November. But at the eight week ultrasound, we never heard the heartbeat. So we're actually still to this day, what's today, January 4th, um, from that miscarriage, we're still undergoing symptoms of that miscarriage. So I'm actually still uh, losing products of conception. Like naturally, I didn't have to go through a DNC this time. So thankful for that because I didn't have to go to the hospital. Um, You know, I would have had to go alone given COVID. And so it's been, it's been something that we've had to deal with emotionally for the last 14, 15 days. So definitely these these Christmas and, and New Year's holidays have been tough for us. We haven't really felt like celebrating. And I think that not having control for me in this fertility journey and, and partly in our marriage because of this fertility journey, I, I find this other need to have control. And so it brings up you know, like, let's just just say, you know, my need for tidiness. And I think a lot of women will, <laughs> will identify with this. And I think that need got stronger. As I lost control in other parts of life, I felt like this stuff got stronger. And so even on New Year's Day, we were fighting about how we're not being tidy. And it was just like, I had to really think about why am I onto this topic. And it really came out like I just needed some control in the house, I needed some order. Um, and he understood. Um, but like I said, you know, it's been, it's been a trying time.
1: And what, and so how has this affected, um, I know this must have changed, you know, you said you have changed, your relationship has really changed and he gave you this ultimatum. You used to have resentment now, but I know now, I mean, and especially going through a coaching program with you and following up with you with texts and stuff, you're always like, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, I've got my back and like, how has this, how did, how do you do that? How do you do that with yourself? And then how do you do that with your husband? It's,
0: it's repetition. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is stay in communities where you're going to hear new mindsets, different mindsets, see what resonates. And I think that's exactly what happened. It started with a Facebook group that I was a part of Style MD, and then it turned into Empowering Women Physicians. I just heard these messages of empowerment from so many different women, and they all happen to be physicians, which was helpful. They're like me. And they're going through their personal struggles, maybe not the same struggles as me, but what's getting them back on their feet, what's giving them resiliency is a new mindset. And so I started hearing these new messages. I started practicing those messages. I started getting coached on those messages. I started coaching others on those messages. And I think just the repetitive nature is is what got me to this place where I actually definitely know that I have unconditional love for myself. And the thought that gets me there is I've got my own back, no matter what. It doesn't matter what he says now. It doesn't matter what my in-laws say. It doesn't matter what my parents say, what my boss says, what my patients say, what my family says. I've got my own back, you know? And that's that's turned around my entire outlook on
1: life and on anything
0: that comes my way.
1: And does this make things less hard or are they still painful and hard like going?
0: Through- That's a good question. I, I don't think that there's anything that takes away pain, but it, it, there's definitely a way to move through it. Um, for example, when we had the pregnancy in October, I decided that I was going to feel excited, w- not knowing what was coming and knowing that there's the, the possibility of, of loss is there because we had had the history of it. But I decided I was going to feel excited. And what I realized when we lost the pregnancy was The sadness and the disappointment of losing another pregnancy was not any worse, just because I decided to feel excited. It's not that it doubled. It's not that it tripled. I was still sad and disappointed, but at least this time I got to also feel excited. So does it get worse? Does it change? It changes, but it's also very much the same, right? Like it's still sadness and disappointment, the pain, but I still got myself to feel excited and that's something I was able to do, right? Like my husband had a hard time with that. He was like, no, I don't think I want to get excited because somehow it makes sad and disappointment worse, but it really doesn't. So that's been new. This this year it was new for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've heard actually many women who are going through fertility struggles right now say they're afraid to get excited. They you know about the process in general.
0: Yes. And it's okay to get
1: excited because-
0: whether or not it's a successful pregnancy, you've got your own back during the process, no matter what happens. So you get to be with yourself. And that's that's the most important thing. It will carry you, right? It will carry you through the pregnancy. It will carry you after if it doesn't work out.
1: And then I've also heard you talk about possibility of surrogacy or adoption. I thought, I think you've mentioned that before. Are those things that you're you're still going to think about, or you're just, I mean, you're in the middle of Loss right now, and that's kind of what you're dealing. You're, I mean, that's maybe too much to think about something else.
0: It is. Um, it's not that it's too much, but I think it's really important for us to get through this phase that we're in right now, and then it becomes more clear what the decision will be afterwards. I think I find it challenging to think about both things at the same time, and I think I find it challenging to process through what's happening now if I'm on to the next thing too quickly. I think we're not done. You know, I think we're not done trying to make a, a baby out of our own genetic material. So I think it's hard for us to think about other options right now.
1: Yeah. And especially because you've probably got all those hormones still inside your body. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, what kind of um, what kind of things would you tell somebody else, like who would maybe be at the beginning of their fertility journey, like where you were several years ago, either in 2017, I know you said like 2017 was the beginning, right? Like, what would you, what message would you want to tell somebody else?
0: Everything that you're deciding as you go through this journey is a choice. You know, you're not a victim to your biology or your thoughts. You are choosing how you're thinking, you are choosing how you're feeling throughout this entire process. There's going to be doctors that say funny things. There's going to be friends that say weird things. There's going to be nurses and coworkers and friends and family who just say some odd things during this journey. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's what you think about you and your process and your journey along this fertility struggle. If it is a struggle for you, that's really all that's important because people don't know what to say. People have no idea what to say and they want to say something that helps them feel better and that helps them fill the silence of the awkwardness when somebody else is struggling. But that doesn't help you. What helps you is really like, what has helped me is what I say to myself inside my head. And that way I can just shield myself from what other people have said, all the weirdness that comes out of people's mouths. And you know, you just keep your your thoughts to yourself and you have thoughts that say you've got your own back and you have unconditional love for yourself. If you cultivate that from the very beginning of the journey, it will be so much more empowering. You will feel so much less of a victim to what other people are saying, what other people's words are. And that that's a, such a better way to go through this journey. And I wish I could have done that from the very beginning.
1: Okay. Now, now this, these weird, weird words, people are choosing to say, yeah, I know I probably say some of them too, because it's like, you just want, To everybody to feel better in this really painful situation which you can't can you give us some examples of things that should not be said and maybe you'd prefer to hear
0: i'll just start with what i would prefer to hear i'm here for you i hear you i'm listening we don't have to talk about it or we can talk about it you get to think what you're thinking you get to feel what you're feeling that I think, is the most powerful thing for for me to hear from another person. You get to feel what you're feeling. Because when other people were getting pregnant and I wasn't, guess what I was feeling? Jealousy. And it took another coach, another woman physician coach who said to me, you're having a human emotion and sounds like you're still human. And that was the best thing I could have heard, that I get to feel jealous because that that is what I'm feeling. And there's no way around it, right? Because it is the human emotion that I'm experiencing at that moment. Not for somebody to say, I can't believe, you know, you're feeling this way. Well, oh, at least you're not feeling angry. Or, you know, that's not, we don't want to distract from what is happening. Let the person be where they are. That's what I would say. If anything you want to say to that person, just let them be where they are. The best advice I could give you.
1: That was great. I am here for you. You get to feel what you are feeling. You are human. I mean, because being jealous shouldn't be shameful. It shouldn't. I mean, it's just it's how we feel sometimes, and being jealous or having that kind of emotion doesn't
0: mean that you're also not feeling happy for somebody else, right? Right. You can feel the same at the same.
1: you can feel both at the same
0: time, but it's a weird thing to go through when it's just consuming you. You're like, oh, I forgot I could feel jealous. When was the last time we had to feel jealous in life, right? Like it's not common that we feel this anymore. We're all physicians. We've accomplished so much, right? There's very little for us to be jealous of. And then all of a sudden, I was feeling jealous. I was like, "What is this emotion?" So she just said to me, "You're allowed to feel that," and that was amazing. People always want to offer anecdotes. Oh, well, this person tried this and they got pregnant, and this person tried this and guess what? As soon as they stopped trying, they got twins. Or this person who's 75 who delivered twins in India. You should. Th- what? How is this relevant? It's not. I know it's helping you give me a story of hope, but it doesn't give me hope. So just let me be in my own emotion. Let me be in my own thought.
1: That's beautiful. And, and don't coach me unless I ask you to coach me. Right.
0: <laughs>
1: well, that's hard for us coaches. <laughs> so hard, so hard. And then what about the whole, okay. Cause we were going to talk a little bit about finances and money. What about the whole financial aspect of fertility and You know, how has that story or conversation gone between you and your husband?
0: You know, Kate, I guess we never realized that it was going to be a struggle to begin with. And so one expense became a second expense and a third and a fourth. And these procedures and things that we chose to do, like IVF, they were costly, but we never planned for it because we never even imagined there would be a struggle even though we started when I was 38 or 41 we may have we maybe could have anticipated that there may have been a struggle but that's not always the case and we just didn't think it would be this difficult for us and we didn't think it would need to include our financial planning along the way we've just moved money around as needed um there really hasn't been a plan in place and i think thankfully we're in a place and position that we can afford to take some of these options and go through with them and even though they're costly We did opt out of another round of IVF, not only because of cost, but also because of cost, and also just because the yield wouldn't have been that great at my age of 44. And we came to that decision along with my uh, reproductive endocrinologist. But the money has been available, thankfully. Our parents have always been supportive. And so they would also invest in us having a grandchild for them. (laughs) So they would also be there for us if we needed it.
1: Okay. And then what about money in general in your household? How do you guys? divide up the uh, the responsibilities, the financial responsibilities?
0: So in our household, it's two of us. Um, and we have always had individual checking and saving accounts. We've always had individual credit cards. And then we've also acquired some real estate along the years. And as our real estate business has grown, our finances get a little bit more blended. I started to learn less clinical income as I left permanently employed you know, medicine. And as I grow my coaching business, things have shifted. I don't have the study income that he does. And I also wanted to make sure that we took an, a 10 year anniversary trip in 2023 for a 10 year anniversary. So I decided let's get a travel points card. So now we've got, you know, a joint checking, we've got a joint credit card, we're starting to meld, you know, meld our finances together a little bit, I hired a money coach, And it's just been interesting, because as we join our accounts, we have more and more conversations about money. And there was a time where he didn't want me to know, you know, what kind of things he spends on sometimes some of his discretionary spending, it was almost like he assumed that I was going to get annoyed or angry before we even got to the discussions, uh, or that I was going to question his spending. But I, I really do now want as my own desire to to understand our real estate business a little bit more, and especially the finances about it, whereas he was really doing most of that before. I've always trusted him to do it to handle it. He's the spreadsheet guy in our house. He's the finance guy in our house. But I'm now ready um, at age 44 (laughs) to start learning, you know, and I want to be in a position that I know what he knows. And and I don't need to be part of it every day on the daily. But I do want to know the overview and just kind of be able to handle it if anything were to happen. So that co- goes hand in hand with me building a business. I, le- I want to know the finances, and of course, there are credit card points that hopefully will yield a nice ten-year anniversary trip in twenty twenty-three. <laughs> Definitely the South Pacific. I want a bungalow over the water. I mean, um, sorry, the um, yeah, South
1: Pacific, yeah. Oh, the South Pacific. Okay. Yeah, like that area, exactly. Yeah. Or is that like Bora Bora or Ah? Nice. Okay. Yeah, we we would love to do that someday as well. And um, the real estate stuff, I know, because you have you're 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 really active in the real estate now. Um, is that you or him or together? It's
0: it's interesting. My dad had seventeen properties in Houston at one point at his peak. Yeah. And then he became a hard money lender, which is kind of what he does now. And he's getting rid of his property. So it's been in the family. And my brother is a commercial real estate investor. And interestingly enough, I had no interest in real estate. My husband did. His parents lived in a home that had a basement that was always rented out or other apartments in the home that was rented out in New York City. So he's grown up that way. When I met him, we lived in the basement of a home and we rented out the main house. I think you're familiar with this story, aren't you? Um, and since then, we've acquired 11 more doors. So we have 12 total. We live in one. We have 11 doors that we rent out. Um, we manage all of... Thank you. Thank you. We just acquired one in December this year. We manage all of them ourselves. No property manager just yet. Um, all the properties are in Baltimore, except for the one in Virginia. And they're all rented out. They've always been rented out. We've never had trouble.
1: Wow. So that's a full-time job in itself. Managing
0: property 12, yeah, 11.
1: It's a full-time job.
0: Yeah. And it's been very good to us and we've been very fortunate.
1: So now that you and your hubby know more about like the discretionary funds, what you he might spend his money on or you spend money on, is that okay? You guys like are able to have conversations about that or?
0: He's pretty laid back about it and so am I. It's worked out well. We haven't come up with any big, you know, struggles there. So that's been a, a, a nice, um, pleasant surprise, I should say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is it? I mean, what is it that he spends his money on? You know, nothing. It's it's more just like
0: stuff uh, for the properties. You know, he might have to buy an appliance. He might have to buy flooring. He might have to buy whatever. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not sure why he thought I would have a problem with that. He hasn't bought another car with cash in a long time. He did that early in our relationship. So maybe he had that kind of uh, thing in mind. Um, he's not a big spender otherwise. I don't know why he was concerned. But yeah, it seems like there isn't much to worry about.
1: What brings you joy? What do you spend your money on, Manisha? Coaching. Coaching. Yeah. That's what I thought you were going to say.
0: <laughs> I have to invest in coaching. I'm a coach. I believe in it. So, yes, I have a coach. I
1: have several coaches. Well, that brings me to my next question. What is the smartest financial decision you've ever made in your life?
0: Yeah. Well, definitely two. I will say two were the best at financial decisions. One was joining the Life Coach School and becoming a coach um, and getting coached through empowering women physicians through coaches, through the life coach school, through my money coach, Latifat Adikande. Um, there's just so many wonderful opportunities that coaching has presented to me. Um, and it's given me an opportunity to grow a business that I never thought I would do. I mean, I used to be a doctor only, and now I'm a doctor and a business owner. It's unbelievable. Um, and locums. It's mind blowing. It is. Um, as you probably have experienced as well. And then I think the other one was locums working as a locums um, physician has been a great way to put money aside, to put that money into student loans, to pay off huge chunks of student loans, to where I'm I'm student loan free now. Um, and you know, learning the art of negotiation so that I can get higher salaries when I do these locum's jobs, even when I work as an independent contractor. So these are the financial decisions, other than marrying my husband, who's good at real estate. <laughs> got to give him credit just in case he's listening um, so that that all has been really good so locums life coach school and the real estate business that we have Ah,
1: oh, okay locum so locums is a big one in there i should consider Locums. i love my job i love my pediatric radiology job i don't know if they have pediatric radiology locums i could look at them. i don't know but no 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 if you're for listening from our, i love i love my workplace so <laughs> And what else? Are there any big take-home points, last-minute stories you want to share about medicine, marriage, or money, or fertility? Anything our audience just wants to walk away? Today, if
0: you're listening to this, I would say today you're doing enough. You don't need to be doing any more than you are. Today you're doing exactly what you need to be doing, and you're in the right place at the right time right now. There's nothing more you need to be doing. This is the the beauty of life, to be in the present moment, right? We don't need to think about what happened yesterday, what we didn't do right, what we need to do tomorrow, what we haven't gotten to, what we need to do more of. Once we get to be in our own skin today, it really just gives you your power back. It really gives you that place to say, you know what, I've got my own back. I've got unconditional love and that exists today. I don't need to do anything more tomorrow I didn't need to have done anything more yesterday right and today I'm doing it just right I'm in the right place I'm in the right time that message for me carries me daily and I and I want to spread that message to everybody you're doing it just right right now you're being human you've got human thoughts you've got human emotions right now and today when you got that choice, that you know that you're making your choices along the way, that's when you find your voice, right? You made your choices. Those were all choices. You were not a victim of what happened to you in life. These were all choices you made along the way. You did it just right, and you're doing it just right. Now today.
1: Oh, that's beautiful, Manisha. I love it. Your skin. See, I'm doing it just right. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming onto my show, Dr. Aluwalia. Thanks, Kate. Dr. Mango. Such a great show with Dr. Manisha Aluwalia. And before we end, don't forget to reach out to Larry Keller of Physician Financial Services for your disability insurance needs. He's been around for a while in many physician communities, helping them with coverage they need. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Larry Keller. And I also want to add that I did mention at the beginning of this episode that my Medical Marriage Survival Guide and Instruction Manual for Physicians in Love, 18 page ebook workbook is available and the link is in the show notes. But also I am launching an eight week women physician in medicine, marriage and money group coaching program, which begins in April and I would love to have you guys on my waitlist. I will be sending out more emails with details about what exactly this medicine, marriage and money group coaching journey, where it will take you, what the details involve. So, and please feel free to reach out to me whenever you want on Facebook, messenger, Instagram, messenger, or directly email me. And I will have links to that. If you visit my website, medicine, marriage and you'll find links to both the medical marriage survival guide as well as a wait list to get on my group coaching program. I am limiting seats because I do want this first group coaching program to be, be very intimate and very special. And, um, and I would love to have you guys. So with that, we are going to go into the three big take-home points from dr. Manisha aluwalia being excited about pregnancy does not make the pain any worse if you have a miscarriage it's still going to be painful it was always going to be painful miscarriages are painful child loss is painful nothing can take that pain away so allowing that emotion of excitement during the initial phase of pregnancy, regardless if you've had losses in the, in, in, the, in the past and are fearful of losses in the future, that excitement now during the initial phase of pregnancy does not make it more painful than it would have otherwise been without the excitement. Avoiding the pain forever when the miscarriage does happen is impossible. But feeling the pain, allowing the pain and moving through the pain is the goal. Number two, we are not victims of what happens in life. Every decision, every path, every emotion we experience is a choice. Doctors may say funny things, things that we just don't think are necessary. Friends may say odd things nurses, family members. And you know what? They often just don't know what to say. They want to say something, so they just blurt something out. Why? Why don't they know what to say? Well, Because everyone needs to hear something different. So, it does not matter what people say. Their words do not matter until you make them matter. Do not be victim of the words or actions of your friends, your coworkers, your physicians, your nurses, we can choose how to interpret the words of others. We have the power to choose what to hear, what to make those words mean to us. When someone in our life may be experiencing miscarriage, fertility issues, or child loss, Dr. Alawalia suggests some of these phrases as something we can say, something we can offer for support. I am here for you. I am listening to you. You get to think what you are thinking. You get to feel what you are feeling. We can talk about it or we don't have to talk about it. I'm here for you either way. I love you. I am thinking of you. That is it my friends, the three big take home points and I hope you walk away asking yourself, how do I stay curious in my marriage or my relationship? How can I stop being a victim of other people's words? Am I telling myself that I am doing enough today? How can I be more comfortable in my own skin now? Do I fear getting too excited in my journey because I fear disappointment or failure. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys so much. Your support means so much to me. Please share this episode with somebody who may be experiencing some fertility journey, roller coaster rides, or could really hear these messages. And especially with the, especially with the experience of Dr. Manisha Aluwalia. I think she's provided some very valuable tools that anybody on their fertility journey pregnancy journey would find valuable so thank you so much go spread the love spread the support lift each other up so much love to you and your spouse the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical or financial advice The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.